The text for the sermon this afternoon is the well-known words of Jesus in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who, are weary, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In connection with that, I'd like to read scripture with you from 2 Samuel chapter 7 and Ezekiel 34. First, Second Samuel chapter 7. These passages will come back in the sermon. Second Samuel seven, verse one through seventeen. Now when the king, King David, lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. That's the connection with our text, is the rest. The king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, and you, that you should be a prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly." from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest. There's that rest again. I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. We move forward in our Bibles to the prophecy of Ezekiel.
It's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Lamentations, Ezekiel. So we just read about the Lord's promise to David about an everlasting kingdom. Now if we read the story of the Bible, we read that David's son Solomon, he builds the temple, but then shortly after that, he, his heart follows after other gods. He marries foreign women, and he, his heart goes after their gods. And so the Lord punishes him, as well as his descendants. And eventually... Israel, due to their sin, are sent into exile. And it's during, while these people are in exile, that the Lord sends his prophet Ezekiel with this message of Ezekiel 34. We'll read verse 11 to 31. So the important point here is that they are, the people are in exile and they have no king. Ezekiel 34, verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I... I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture? And to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of your water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself, will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will send down the showers in their seasons. They shall be showers of blessing. 
and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield its increase, and they shall be secure in the land. And they shall know that I am the Lord, when I break the bars of their yoke, and deliver them from the hand of those who enslaved them. They shall no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations, so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land, and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. Let's sing in preparation for the sermon, Psalm 23, the stanzas 1, 2, and 3. The text for the sermon is Matthew 11, verse 28, and we'll also read the surrounding verses from Matthew 11. We'll read verse 25 through 30. Matthew 11. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light." The text is these words, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't listen to the radio very often, but I happened to hear this song a few weeks ago as I was out landscaping. The song paints a picture that appeals to the human longing for rest. It goes like this. Knee deep in the water somewhere, got the blue sky breeze blowing through my hair. Only worry in the world, is the tide going to reach my chair? Never been so happy, never felt so high, and I think I might have found me my own kind of paradise. It's clear to the singer that if ever paradise existed, it's lost. In normal circumstances, there is worry in this world. But he sits on his lawn chair at the beach and sings, I think I might have found me my own kind of paradise. And the message of the song apparently is that you can find your own kind of paradise too. That message is clear in the final words of the song, when you lose yourself, you find a key to paradise. 
The song is an invitation to find a kind of paradise. The invitation is open to anyone because it's an invitation to find your own kind of paradise. Apparently there's more than one kind. Well, in our text from Matthew 11, verse 28, we have a very different kind of invitation. Here in our text, Jesus says, Come to me, and I will give you rest. Jesus' invitation is exclusive. Only those who come to him will actually find rest. There's only one kind of rest, and it comes from Jesus. Jesus reveals himself as the source for humanity's true rest. This rest that Jesus promises is what I want to tell you about this afternoon. I bring you good news for a weary world. The theme for the message is find rest in the faithfulness of Christ. We'll consider first the promise Christ extends and secondly the coming Christ commands. Our text contains Christ's promise, I will give you rest. When Jesus spoke these words, he was speaking specifically to Israelites. Look at Matthew 11, verse 1 with me in your Bibles. Matthew 11, verse 1, the beginning of the chapter that our text is in, it tells us the timing of the events in this chapter. Verse 1, when Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. So Jesus proclaims the promise in our text during this time. It's part of his public teaching and preaching ministry in the villages of northern Israel, in Galilee. When Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples. This refers backwards to the events of chapter 10. In that chapter, Jesus was speaking to a private audience of his chosen twelve. Chapter 10, verse 1. And he called to them his twelve disciples. Now in chapter 11, the focus shifts back to Jesus' public ministry. From private audience to public. So not just a chosen few disciples is he speaking to, but anyone who will listen. He went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Verse 1. So this is the audience. Jesus speaks in our text to a public audience. In that sense, it's an open invitation for anyone who hears it. And yet we have to say more. When Jesus first speaks these words, he was speaking specifically to Israelites. In this historical moment, Jesus' ministry on earth, Jesus' message is for the Jews. Look at chapter 10, verse 5. Chapter 10, verse 5. Jesus sends his disciples out to preach the gospel to Israel. And he tells them specifically in Matthew 10, 5, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Go nowhere among the Gentiles, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now this limitation isn't for all time, of course. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 makes that clear. The gospel will be for the Gentiles, the nations beyond Israel. But at this moment in history, in Jesus' time on earth, the message is for Israelites, first of all. 
So we have to ask, who are the Israelites at this time? Why is the gospel of the kingdom specifically for Israelites at this time in history? Notice how Jesus refers to the Israelites in Matthew 10, verse 5. He calls them the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Lost sheep. And in chapter 9, verse 36, Matthew says Jesus has compassion for the crowds because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Maybe you can begin to see the connection between this and what we read from Ezekiel. Sheep without a shepherd. So where does this image of lost sheep come from? And what does this have to do with the rest that Jesus promises in our text? Well, to answer this, we'll need a bird's eye view of the Bible's story of rest. So let's pick up the biblical story of rest at Deuteronomy 12. Turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 12 for a second. Deuteronomy 12, God promises a place of rest and circumstances of rest. God speaks of rest in connection with the land. Look at verse, chapter 12, verse 9. He says, For you have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. That inheritance is the land of Canaan that God promised to Abraham and his family. So God promises a place of rest. But Deuteronomy 12 also speaks of rest from enemies. Verse 10, chapter 12, verse 10. But when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and when He gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in safety. You see, God promises rest to his people. That's, and that's connected to his promise of the promised land. In Deuteronomy 28, this promise of rest is filled out with the promises of blessing for obedience and curse for disobedience. That's in Deuteronomy 28. So in other words, rest for God's people in God's land is connected to, is dependent on the people's Faithfulness to God. That's the point we want to highlight here. Rest depends on faithfulness to God, according to the covenant God makes with Israel. And this reflects the relationship of man with God in the beginning. Rest was part of the blessing of Adam and Eve's life with God at creation. But Adam threw this blessing of rest away when he sinned. He lost his rightful claim to rest because of his rebellion. And he brought God's curse upon the human race. Our sin merits, it deserves the absence of rest. So you see, to enjoy rest with God, our first parent Adam was called to faithfulness. And in the same way, the unchanging God called his people Israel as well to the same standard of faithfulness. Rest is the reward of faithfulness to God. And this principle carries over also into the covenant that God makes with David, which we read about in 2 Samuel 7. Let's turn again to 2 Samuel 7.
2 Samuel 7, God promises David rest from all his enemies. He promises that he will establish David's kingdom as an everlasting kingdom. On David's throne, a son of David will reign forever. And yet, with this promise of rest, God requires faithfulness. Look at chapter 7, verse 14. The second part of verse 14. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. So with the promise of rest, God requires faithfulness. Rest with God is a privilege for the faithful. That's true for Israel's king, and it's true for Israel. But Israel was unfaithful, and so were the kings. That's how the story continues. They transgressed God's covenant and incurred God's curse. As Hosea 6 verse 7 puts it, Like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. They dealt faithlessly with God. And so, like Adam, they were cast out from God's land. Just as Adam was thrown out of the Garden of Eden, so Israel was thrown out of the promised land of Canaan. They were thrown out from the place of rest. Not only that, they were also given over to their enemies. Notice the reversal from a place of rest to exile, from freedom and, slavery, from freedom and safety to slavery and oppression. This is God's curse for sin. God's righteousness demands human faithfulness. True rest is enjoyed within the bonds of faithfulness to God. Breaking loose from the bonds of faithfulness to God brings another kind of bond. The bondage of slavery and oppression. That's what Israel experienced in their exile. And that's what we will also experience when we live in rebellion against God. Because God's justice requires it. He must keep His word. And yet there's hope. God is just. But still He is merciful. And God reveals that His gracious purposes for Israel are still not exhausted. How deep God's love is. Through His prophets, God promises deliverance. He promises to break His people's yoke and restore them to rest. And He promises to restore the kingdom of David. Listen to God's promise in Jeremiah 30, verse 8 and 9. And it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break the oppressor's yoke from off your neck, and I will burst your bonds, and foreigners shall no more make a servant of Israel. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. You see, at the center of God's plans for rest stands the son of David. Remember God's promise to David in 2 Samuel 7? Verse 11, I will give you rest from all your enemies. 2 Samuel 7 verse 16, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever. So through his prophets, God proclaims the gospel to the scattered sheep of Israel. We could read that in Ezekiel 34. Listen again to God's promise in Ezekiel 34, verse 22 to 24. I will rescue my flock. This is God's scattered sheep in exile, hearing the promise of God. I will rescue my flock 
They shall no longer be a prey. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. Notice the imagery of sheep without a shepherd that we saw earlier in the context of our text. Matthew 9, verse 36 and 10, verse 5. The son of David is the good shepherd who gathers in the scattered lost sheep of Israel. You see, the story of the Old Testament reaches its climax in Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus is the promised one of the Old Testament scripture. And we need to see the promise of Jesus in our text against this background, the Old Testament, of God's promises. When Jesus speaks in our text, he is speaking primarily to Israelites, God's covenant people of the Old Testament. But this is a covenant people who are experiencing the curse of God's covenant. This is the people who have broken God's covenant by unfaithfulness. By their sin, they've rendered themselves no different than the people of other nations. They may be Abraham's children by physical descent, but spiritually speaking, they are not all Abraham's children. That is, as Galatians 3 verse 7 says, it is those of faith who are truly the sons of Abraham. In Galatians 3 verse 9, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham because he is the man of faith. So this is Jesus' audience in Matthew 11 verse 28, lost sheep of Israel. They've returned from exile in a literal sense. There's, their families have come back from Babylon. They've traveled back to Israel. And yet, their circumstances are still far from restful. And more than that, they're still under foreign oppression. The Romans are in power. This isn't truly the promise of restoration from exile that God has promised through the prophets. These people have returned to the place where rest was once found, but God's glory has left the temple. That's the glory of gold because King Herod built that temple. But God's own glory, God's presence is not in the temple. Spiritually then, God's covenant people are still in exile. Separated from God on account of their unfaithfulness. They're still waiting their shepherd, for their shepherd to restore them to green, shepherds, or to green pastures. They're still waiting for the son of David to restore his kingdom of Israel, as Ezekiel promised and the other prophets. And now Jesus says to these shepherdless sheep, come to me and I will give you rest. After centuries of waiting, David the shepherd king has come. Jesus is the son of David who will bring God's promises to fulfillment. Jesus will bring rest to those in spiritual exile. That's clear from Jesus' promise. It's for spiritual exiles. It's for those who labor and are heavy laden. The labor Jesus speaks of is the kind of labor that results from God's curse. It's the oppressive labor 
and back-breaking load of life in spiritual exile from God. This is a promise for people like you and me, isn't it? Jesus says to the weary and the burdened exiles of Israel, Come to me and I will give you rest. And now this same promise is held out to you and me in the gospel. So do you sense the distance that your own sin has created between you and your God? Do you recognize that you too are spiritually speaking an exile, an outcast from God's gracious presence apart from Christ? Without Christ, that's what we are. Outcasts from God's gracious presence. So do you see that your unfaithfulness then is just like Israel's? Your sin makes you deserving of God's curse and me. But Jesus promises rescue from God's curse in our text. Jesus promises rest from his, through His own faithfulness. And this is the point. The rest that Jesus offers provides rescue from God's curse. That's the kind of rest. It's rescue from God's curse. And in the gospel, Jesus holds out this promise of rest to you. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So, so far we focused on the rest that Jesus proclaims. We've looked at the kind of rest he offers. Deliverance from God's curse. We've noticed the kind of people that need this rest. Those who have been unfaithful to God. We've also hinted at the solution for this unfaithfulness. It's through Jesus himself that we will find rest. So how does Jesus deliver us from God's curse? How does he restore us to God's blessing of rest? Let's consider this in our second point. Second point is the coming that Christ commands. Christ commands Christ's command connects with Christ's promise. The two come together. Come to me belongs with I will give you rest. This command and promise they arise, they come out of the gospel. And by the gospel I mean the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus by which he fulfills the promises of the Old Testament. And reconciles God with man. That's the gospel. Jesus fulfills the promises of God for the salvation of sinners. Through the redemption he accomplishes by his life, his death, and his resurrection. And this gospel event, Jesus' death and resurrection, is the basis for Jesus' promise of rest in our text. It's because of what Jesus accomplishes for sinners through his life, death, and resurrection that He can promise rest to sinners. This is why Jesus can command sinners to come to Him to receive what He promises instead of what we deserve. Remember, Jesus is speaking to covenant breakers, to the unfaithful. He is promising rest, the reward for faithfulness. He's promising rest to the unfaithful. Do you see... The tension. How is this possible? 
Well, at one level it's possible simply through coming to Jesus. Come to me and I will give you rest. Just believe that. Yet to help you believe this, know that behind and under and around this command and promise is the gospel, is Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus stands behind this promise and command. Do you see it? There's no one to come to without Jesus. There's no one to give rest without Jesus. There is no rest apart from Jesus. Come to me, and I will give you rest. It's on the basis of the gospel event that Jesus says, Take my faithfulness as your own. Let my covenant keeping be yours. This is the message of the gospel that undergirds this command to come to Christ for rest. We saw earlier that rest is God's reward for faithfulness. And yet if that depended on our own faithfulness, what hope is there of rest? But now Jesus can offer rest to covenant breakers like us, like you and me, because He has taken our curse on Himself. He has merited a blessing for us by His own covenant keeping. Jesus merited God's blessing of rest through His life of faithfulness, even unto death. Jesus bore God's curse in His life of suffering and in His death on the cross. And Jesus' resurrection is the proof that Jesus' covenant-keeping life and death are indeed fully acceptable to God. By His resurrection, Jesus enters into the rest that God has always promised His people as the blessing for covenant-keeping faithfulness. And Jesus has that faithfulness that deserves rest. Jesus alone has kept God's covenant as the faithful man, as the faithful Israelite, the faithful son of David, and the faithful son of God. Jesus alone merits, deserves the blessing of rest that Adam threw away. So he alone can offer this rest to the family of Adam. The religious leaders of Jesus' day were blind to this. They thought they could earn God's blessing by their own covenant-keeping faithfulness. They read Psalm 1, where Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers as if that was saying, you will be blessed if you just stay away from sinners. That was the, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They did not understand. They thought that they could earn God's blessing by their own faithfulness. They failed to reckon with the fact that they were in fact covenant breakers, deserving God's curse. They were blind to their need for a Savior. When Jesus proclaims the promise in our text, the Israelites are a lost people, a restless people, a people in spiritual exile. They're sheep without a shepherd. But Jesus proclaims that He has come to be the shepherd. He has come to bring them back into the sheepfold of God. He has come, in other words, to bring them rest with God. 
Jesus comes as the son of David to bring Israel rest, but sadly many in Israel do not receive him as their king. They reject him as their savior. He comes to them, but they refuse to come to him. Their problem is spiritual blindness. They need their eyes opened by the Spirit of God. They need to learn about faith from little children. This is our problem by nature as well. Do we recognize it? Do we recognize that our problem by nature is spiritual blindness? We don't see our need as it really is. We need our eyes opened by the Spirit of God. We need to learn about faith from little children. In the verses before our text, we read Jesus' response to the rejection of the unrepentant cities. Matthew 11, verse 25. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. To little children. The coming Christ commands is the coming of faith. And the faith Christ commands is the faith of little children. So what is this faith by which we come to Christ? It's like the trust of a child. It's the opposite of depending on ourselves. It's reliance on one who is far stronger and more able. This is what we need to learn from little children. By faith, we find rest for our souls. Not in our own efforts, but in Christ. By faith, we receive Christ's covenant-keeping faithfulness in the gospel as our own, as an undeserved gift. The coming Christ commands in our text is a coming to Christ as He comes to us in the gospel. The coming Christ commands is a coming to Christ as He comes to us in the gospel. Before we come to Christ, He comes to us with His promise of a rest that we could never have obtained apart from Him. He has obtained it for us by His own covenant-keeping faithfulness in His life and death as the representative of His people. And by faith, we may enjoy in Christ a foretaste of the rest that we will one day enjoy with Christ in a new creation. We enjoy in Christ what we will enjoy with Christ in a new creation. Come to me and I will give you rest. This is Jesus' promise and command to the scattered sheep of Israel. But it's also Christ's promise and command to all of humanity. Because behind this promise and command for Israel is the gospel, not just for Israel, but for sinners. In the gospel, Christ's promise and command are for all the lost sheep of the human family. The good shepherd of Israel is the good shepherd that we all need to bring us into God's rest. In the gospel, God comes to fallen humanity in Jesus and bids sinful humanity come to Him through Jesus. Through His life, death, and resurrection, Jesus fulfills all the promises of God for the salvation of sinners. Because of what Jesus has accomplished for sinners through His life, death, and resurrection, He promises rest. Rest 
not on the basis of our own faithfulness, but on the basis of His. Jesus commands sinners to come to Him, to receive what He promises, instead of what we deserve. That was true for Israel back then, when these words were first spoken because of what Jesus was about to do by going to the cross. And it's also true for us today because of what Christ has done when He was nailed to that cross. He has finished what He was sent to accomplish. Because of what Christ has done by dying and rising from the dead, after living a life of perfect faithfulness to God, Christ's invitation is extended, is held out to you and me today. The risen Lord Jesus says to us today, Come to me, and I will give you rest. This is the promise that Christ extends. This is the coming that Christ commands. Find rest in the faithfulness of Christ. Amen. Let's sing in response Psalm 62, the stances 1 and 3. Thank you.